Manda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museums will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel, which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Fiction. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, 
are starting to see the darkness. Stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome. We made it to June, five months through uh, 2023. Uh, it's June 1st. I can't believe it is already blazing hot here in Tennessee. So I hope wherever you are, it's uh, not as hot. Maybe you get some respite from the heat so far. Tonight, we have a good one. Uh, a friend of the show, uh, I was on her show uh, back in the fall time period. Uh, she's a speaker, trainer, coach, podcast host, and much more. Her mission is to help other entrepreneurs have greater impact by improving their in-person and online delivery of their message. Additionally, she focuses on helping them build their teams as a leader within the 21st century, encouraging them to lead with their heart, head, and hands. Servant leadership has been so important, so impactful in her life, and her goal is to give back wherever she can to make the journey of others be one that allows them to enjoy the ride. So without further ado, let's welcome Vicki Nethling to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Thank Vicky. you so much. Hello again, Rich. It's awesome to see you again. It's always good when we have connections and we can keep coming back and talking to each other and seeing yeah. how we're, we're both progressing. So it's, <laughs> yeah. I know in the pre-show we talked and we're both, uh, we both stayed pretty busy and you've been, you've been busy for a long, long time, uh, 40 mm -hmm. years in America. Uh, mm -hmm. You worked, uh, if you worked for the beautiful, the brown guys for a while, UPS, I worked there. <laughs> As a youth, when I was in uh, college, I worked there at the night midnight shift so I could try to pay for my college. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so if you if you worked like the eleven to three or three to seven shift, and and maintained a B average, they give you some money for the college. So that was it was an incentive, but I mean they earned you earned every dollar you got there. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> so I learned that the the hard way, I guess. <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> I did. I trained after we had a a strike in. 96 i trained loading and unloading and uh it was hard hard work uh, but i swear they they always gave me people that were like five foot or something <laughs> so i had to help them and you know i think i was 40 at that time and that is really hard work but i i swear it made you uh, i just actually kind of thrived in that physical labor so different than sitting in front of a computer all the time so it definitely is i, I, I appreciated I, the hard work you guys gave us. it was definitely chaos i believe and the unload especially the unload is chaos because you have someone yelling flow 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 the whole time yes. you're just trying to get boxes off a wall that you don't you didn't build that wall but someone did and it, it's beautiful it looks like jenga now yeah you that's what i was teaching them how to build the wall <laughs> You pull one piece out and, and everything falls and you're like, oh, that's why that was there. Oh, man. Yeah, for sure. So, Vicki, if you don't mind, uh, if you want to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself from as far back mm -hmm. as you want to go to how we got to where we are now, that'd be awesome. Sure. I, as he said, I 
am retired from UPS. I was a project manager for many years there. And uh, prior to that, I worked for fast food in the corporate office and, and an accounting firm and a wine and spirits brokerage. And so I have a really diverse background, all of which helped me to keep on uh, growing and developing. I, from a large family, I have, um, there were seven kids and I was the second oldest. And so college really wasn't in the cards for me, but you know, in a way it really was a blessing because it made me always have a really strong work ethic. I knew that I had to work harder because I was competing against college people. And so uh, there's all kinds of, of benefits that you can find in life. And so I was coming out, yes, when computers were just entering the workforce. <laughs> and it was one of the, the first great lessons that I've learned and I've used all through my career is to say yes when an opportunity comes, even though it's scary and you have no idea what the end result is going to be. You just hope that it's going to be for the best. And uh, so computers really did help me to keep on accelerating. Also understanding that since I didn't go to college, it was up to me to do development. And that love of self-development has really paid off for me. And now it gives me the discipline to keep on doing this now in my 60s and know that you don't get anywhere if you st stay still. So you got to keep on moving. And I guess towards the, uh, I guess in the 40s or in my 40s, I realized that I needed to get that college degree to compete. So I went to school while I worked 40 hours and after that, I graduated at 50 and I thought, oh, my goodness, I actually know something. <laughs> and all my career, I had had male mentors for the most part. And was they were trying to shape me and form me into a manager that was like them. But that wasn't me. That wasn't authentic to me and never felt right. And so... I started to lead with my heart and I knew always that the people were the, the foundation of any organization. And so you need to support your people, know your people, build the relationships as we do as entrepreneur with our customers, our clients, you need to do that with your people. And the part of, doing that was to have a voice and to be comfortable and confident to be able to speak, communicate in very different levels. So I went and got Toastmasters as part of my life. And now 26 years later, still doing it. But all of the things that I learned to be a stronger speaker has paid off to make me a better leader. And uh, you and I talked a lot about how best to lead a team. And so now that's what I do. I coach people to be stronger as individuals having their voice, but also being that leader that is going to have our organizations really be strong in the 21st century. And have the best interests of both the organization and their and their team. And yeah, that you have to. I mean, the, the team member needs to understand the vision. And the mission 
and they need to understand how their contribution makes a difference. If they don't think that they're that an, an important puzzle piece to that puzzle, then they're not going to give you everything. They're you know it's just going to be easy for them to leave, easy them for them to not be loyal and devoted. But if you want your company to be strong, you need your people to care about it as much as you do. Exactly. Once you show the respect to them and, re- and show what, like you said, the vision of the company, yeah. usually you know, the ones who really want to be there will stay and they'll, they'll perform and they'll become you basically, because that's what you're really, your real goal is to train your replacement. Yeah. And if that's, you do that, that's the best thing. That's so important. I think so many times people just are focused on themselves and, and being that number one, a player but you really need a team of A players. You need someone, as soon as you see, uh, as soon as you sit down with them in that interview, you should be asking them questions to see if they have any goals or, or aspirations for more than they are today. And if they have the behavior, if they have the character that is going to be one that is aligned with your corporate corporate culture and with your vision, then that's the person from that day that they start and you do the orientation, you should be starting to train them to be a replacement for you or someone else on your team. And that, and that gives them that buy-in to once you give them the responsibility that you give them the leash to go and say, (laughs) show me what you got. And if you need help, raise your hand, we'll come help you. But I don't think you do. Let's do this. And you don't, you don't leave them with a blank page either. You need to set expectations. You need to constantly be checking on progress, not micromanaging, but checking on, do they understand what's going on? Do they have any questions? Do they have any ideas? One of the best things in my career, and this has happened several times, where I would have managers that would tell us inside stuff that normally wasn't to be shared with somebody at our level. But they knew that the more that we understood that inside stuff, that we would be feeling almost a pride that they would share that with us and want to be part of the solution. And that's where the creative juices start to flow. And that's where your ideas, when accepted and shared, then all of a sudden it keeps you wanting to give more. But if you are a person that doesn't think your voice is going to be heard or listened to, then you're not going to share. And you could be that person that later on when you're promoted or you leave for a better job, they're like, oh, I didn't know she had it in her. (laughs) Well, you got to let people know. Exactly. You got to like we've, we've been saying, you got to let them know and let them let you know what like you said, let them tell you their goals or aspirations for, from that day forward, five years, 10 years, how long do you yeah. think they want to be in your team? Yeah. You have yeah. an aspiration to maybe grow their own team somewhere else. Exactly. And well, and that's the hard thing too, is you need to know when to let them go. Right. It, it You know, you need to recognize maybe when you made the wrong choice to have them join you and it's not to say that they're not a, a good employee somewhere, 
it just isn't a right fit for there. And um, so rather than making their life miserable and your life miserable, help them move somewhere else. Exactly. And now, like you said, technology, you, you started with the first big computers, probably the size of your whole desk when you first got it back then. Uh, and now you, we're on these little tablets and laptops that do the same work for way yeah. less space. And it, it's amazing how that has grown. And now we're in the 21st century where we have social media, we have everything. It's instant contact, instant contact. Mm -hmm. How does a manager lead with that environment now as compared to when you started way back with the, with the brick on your desk? One of the, yeah, the, the abacus. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I think it is really challenging for managers is, is keeping in contact with the folks. We, it, you know, when we started the management style years and years ago, where you had people that did the administrative work and you had people did strategic things and some operational and and so if one person wasn't holding up their own, it, it was fine. Well, now with the post pandemic, the, the numbers of people in the office is lower. Not to say that you can't run a great team. There are wonderful examples of smaller teams that do the work of a hundred people, but you also need to make sure that, um, that those people that are on the team understand what the expectations of them are and that you really need to make sure that they, they know what they need to do to contribute and how they're going to be assessed and how they're going to be evaluated. And uh, oftentimes people don't tell that until it's time for the, their pay raise. And then they, they don't understand why, they aren't meeting the needs. And so we really have to think about that. Definitely. Having uh, I mean, the needs of most of our, like, I, I've seen in the military to change because we start when I first came in, we, one office per building had a computer basically. And then we have grown and everything's digital now. Seeing the young soldiers now and how quick they adapt to things, how, how quick they adapt and how we're training them now way different than we did even 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Now, and now we can do virtual reality with them now. And the younger force picks up on that a lot more. And that's how yeah. they grow leadership and grow their skills. You think about it with our virtual world, how many times as a manager, do you just check in as you would in a water cooler situation, if you will, where <laughs> in the, pre-pandemic, if you were, your team was mostly in your office and you'd walk around the office, you know, walk around managing your people, just seeing how they're doing, checking on the day and things like that. And it wasn't for a specific meeting or anything. You just were seeing how things were going. But whenever you're virtual, when you're remote, it's really takes an effort to say, okay, today I'm going to talk to three or four of my people just to check in on them. We just start to put our head down, do the work and forget about the people that are out there that we're supporting. Right. And uh, so I think it's really much more challenging for a, a manager to do that. But if a manager realizes that they should be the person that's 
really helping their team and the work for the most part should be done by their team. And so it's hard when you promote somebody for them to take off that hat of operational and now be strategic or managerial. Um, And I think sometimes we don't do such a great job at training the people in that aspect. Exactly. And I think right when uh, COVID started, everyone went to that remote lifestyle. I think I had more meetings then. We had way more meetings when we weren't remote than we did when we were in the office. Yeah. Everyone wanted to talk on the meetings about the little widgets here, this, 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 this. In the office, you just worked. Yeah. Like you said, someone would walk around or call you and say, how's this going? Good, good. All right, see you later. And we had that. I was in meetings every day. I was just, well, this is insane. Yeah. The office. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, it was funny whenever I was, um, I guess it was probably in the early 2010, 2000. No, it was probably around 2006, 2007. And the idea of remote working um, was just bantered around that we actually had a pilot and only a select people were in the pilot. And I happened to be, that was whenever I was on the road a lot. And uh, so they had said, well, you're, you know, you're already on the road, so you're perfect for the pilot. And I had found that I was working almost 24 seven and I had to put in my calendar an appointment to have lunch, to have a break twice a day, to take a walk around the block just so that I wouldn't work 24 seven. Cause I was supporting people. Some of my customers were in Asia. So I had to be able to get on calls at 10 and 11 at night. So, and the East coast was getting up at six o'clock to start my day. So it was one of those things where you needed to be disciplined to do that. And there were people that thought that they would like to work from home. And then they asked to be taken out of the program because they missed the interaction with other people. They didn't like the fact that they were always on call, if you will. And I think the pandemic, though, kind of taught us how to better manage our days in this environment. I think it definitely did. I learned a lot of lessons uh, from the pandemic side. I had to manage manage things. And like, you know, I, I started a podcast, kept my school going. So I did a lot of things to keep myself. It's kind of like an adult, I guess, ADD, ADHD. <laughs> I was able to, <laughs> to do a lot of things because what else was there to do? You, no one was letting anyone in buildings or anything like that. So yeah. to stay busy and stay active. Yeah, but it's really important that you, all the managers out there understand that they do need to check in on their people just to say, hey, how's it going? Right. And, and not make it feel like that they are just checking in, checking in to make sure they're doing the work, but that, you know, like, how's the family, how things are going, things like that. You know, you don't want to be surprised. But I would say to those employees or team members, if, if your manager's not checking in on you or checking uh, in to see how you're doing, you should just call them. Right. You, sure you know, take okay. the initiative, right? Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of our managers were doing even more meetings than we were yeah. to meet with higher people. And they were just going like eight different meetings a day and yeah. not knowing what time it was by the time the day was mm-hmm. over. 
Yeah. So it does it does work to go both ways and uh, make sure your boss is doing good too. Hey, you doing all right, man? Good, good. And are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And and you have to think about it that um, if you see that your team is kind of working those long hours, you you sometimes have to be the person. For me, I'd be the mom and say, hey, you know what? I think you need to just take a, a day. Just, we got it covered. Go and just enjoy your family. Because at a certain point, they're not going to bring their A game to you if they're exhausted or burnt out or frustrated. So all of those things, again, it goes right back to leading with your heart. You need to, to really be a support of your team so that they can really give you their best self. Exactly. And you mentioned earlier about uh, using Toastmasters to uh, build your yeah. confidence and your leadership. If you don't mind, expand upon what Toastmasters is, because I know a lot of my audience probably doesn't know what Toastmasters really uh, is. They know what TED Talks are. They know you know, it's, a, it's hilarious. Next year is the 100 year anniversary of Toastmasters. They've been around a hundred years. And so I was introduced to them in 1998 as I was just being a, a new uh, supervisor and I had all these people to take care of. And uh, so I went to my first meeting and what it is, is an hour time that you have, and it's a very structured session, which is good for someone to feel comfortable when you are going outside your comfort zone. And you um, you use a digital education program that Toastmasters has developed. And everything they teach you are things that you, you really know. You just stopped paying attention to doing. So you when you start, you use a, a, a speech for us to get to know you, the icebreaker. And it's really interesting how adults, as well as the students, but adults, you, you'll get a 30, 40, 50-year-old person, and they're asked to give a four-minute, four to six-minute speech about themselves. And it makes them really worried. <laughs> But they shouldn't be. And so what we do is we just get you comfortable and having a conversation with us. And that is the start of you being more confident. Each speech that you do has uh, someone that evaluates you. And that is um, really helpful. In fact, so much so that in my coaching, I offer that as well, because to have somebody that listens to you thoroughly to be able to tell you what you did well, where you could improve and why, and how to challenge yourself to push you just a little bit outside your comfort zone tells you how important eye contact is. And as we talked earlier about the digital world that we have and people are so used to looking down at their phone or their switch or their computer and they have lost the ability to connect with their eyes. Right. And your eyes are such a telling thing. You know, they say your eyes to your soul. But if I need to convince you and persuade you and motivate you, I have to look at you. You have to feel my presence. And then the second piece that Toastmasters works on is, is how important vocal variety and tone is. And again, if we go back to the digital, you're so used to writing text or emails or posts, 
And you forget as you're writing them, the tone that's not there. So what this teaches you is that it's really not the words so much as, but how you say it. And it gives you that awareness that when I write that post or that social media um, item, is it, or could it be interpreted in a different way? And so again, Toastmasters just gives you that practice opportunity with people that are there to help you and to let you grow. And so it's, it's just a wonderful, very affordable way to improve your public speaking. And they're situated in most major uh, metro areas. They're around the world. Around the world. Yeah. So around the world. So I, I'm a member of a club in Brussels as well as Las Vegas and California. So most of it is um, right now is virtual. They are moving towards uh, having some hybrid and then back to some in person. But with the pandemic, we had to go to all virtual. And it was funny. I was a region advisor during the pandemic and a region advisor for Toastmasters International is a, an individual that coaches and mentors district leaders in uh, districts around the world. And I'm in Georgia and my districts, five of them were in California. And so the first six months I went and visited California in person and I had been doing hybrid meetings for a couple years. And as a, as a project leader, I did obviously video meetings all the time. And so I was trying to convince these people and California is the birthplace of, of Toastmasters. So some of the, I have had the founder, the original now going to be a hundred year old club, trying to tell them that they should start to do hybrid meetings because traffic's terrible and people can't come to meetings because it's uh, annoying and things. And so I said, you should just do that. And they said, Vicki, you cannot connect online. You can't motivate people. You can't reach people through a video, through that camera. And so I tried to convince them they could. And then God had a different way and he just caused us to have a pandemic. <laughs> You will do it. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was a genius. <laughs> but it it really has, it, it was wonderful because, because we were all forced to do that so that our we could keep in contact with our, you know, our fellow Toastmasters around the world. And then we saw that we could be in contact with our people that were in India and Australia and all around. It allowed us to accelerate what we do to help companies around the world be able to better have their meetings and things with their people that were now suddenly remote. Yeah, you were like, I guess, the pathfinder. So that's pretty good for that right there. And uh, I know in, the, in my intro, I, I talked about your in-person and online delivery of their message. And I think that goes hand in hand with what you just said right here. Yeah. Any other things that you co during your coaching business, I'm sure you help the same thing. I know you said you use Toastmasters. Yeah, I use that as the foundation. But what I try to 
to coach a lot of people and now is the um, doing the video because you really in your business, if you're not doing video, whether it's Facebook lives or a video in your email using BombBomb or having a TikTok or an Instagram, you need to be able to be comfortable to do this. But, you know, say you're comfortable speaking, but your lighting sucks or, or the sound system you have is not great or you just... Uh, have a terrible angle, uh, you're looking down or we're looking up your nose and all this. So I do a checkup of your setup to make sure that that part of it, you can just uh, it, eliminate any worries on and make sure that you just make the people forget that you're not there right there with them. And uh, so I, I try to focus on that because I do believe that if you're not doing video, you're, you're going to get be left behind, left behind glad uh one of my guests uh we were having a hard time connecting on anchor when i was doing anchor was mm -hmm. audio, and he kept dropping he said man you should just do zoom just do zoom so me and him did a zoom i was i was in this snowed into a hotel while away on work i did this did it with him and he was my first zoom and my first <laughs> uh, youtube video so my very first video is with nate palmer and he's mm -hmm. the reason why i went to video and youtube yeah uh, you know, I, I like to listen to Clubhouse and different things like that. But for me, I think because I love speaking in person so much that it just makes me feel more comfortable doing the interview style on on, on video and um, being able to have my guests feel comfortable just chatting with me. It's It takes a little bit of discipline to just talk to someone on the radio or, uh, you know, on a phone call. So right. and it, it was a little adjustment for me going from just doing audio to doing the zoom, doing both and then just doing like I'm doing now. Yeah. Everyone's video and then I do I do publish it on the audio only because I know some people still just do with some other driving or whatever. So. Yeah. So same with me, you know, I do audio and video. But you have to think too, um what is is really going to resonate over time. And, you know, I'm sure you'd like your episodes to be something that's out there forever. And it's more engaging to look at a video than um, the, I, I just don't know that the audio will last as long as, as interest level as the video might. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. <laughs> You're right. As we see with the, explosion of the social media videos and stuff like that that yeah. shows you where we're it's there it's here to stay yeah there, and i don't you think second. that the kids really the younger ones they they all expect it yes <laughs> i was in the gym this morning and for after school now because school's out here uh, i guess kids saw freshman year to senior year to get free memberships to planet fitness now so they're all in the gym oh, they're, all, they're all on their phones looking at videos yeah. They're not doing anything. They're just on their phones. They're just in the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's not gonna help your weight situation. <laughs> exactly. It's just gonna get it's gonna get worse. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you are starting with a, a new entrepreneur right now, they're coming mm -hmm. in to start their business, what would be three tips you tell them to do to hey make make a great online presence and get your message across? 
I think that the first thing that I always tell people is that you need to know your audience. So that means you need to listen more than you talk. And that's hard for people, especially I think when they're new, because they're trying to establish themselves as that subject matter expert. But so they think they have to keep on talking and telling you everything about them. <laughs> and they do it so fastly that you can hardly hear what they're saying. <laughs> so I, I want you to listen more. And I also want you to slow down a bit. Use the power of the pause. There are so many times, as I said, when people are just rushing through what they know and they don't give the audience time to absorb what they said. And it's really something that can hamper the attention. I, I will just tune you out if you talk too quickly or too fast. If you don't give me time to think about what you said to see how, how does that impact me? Because all of our stories that we share, which is the next thing that I would tell you, all of the stories that you share that you should share in any time you have a interview conversation or whatnot with someone uh, should be one that allows your audience to see themselves. Because once they see that it's about them, that's what they care about. They don't care about you. If they can't see their, your, themselves in your story some way, so, somehow, they're not going to remember you. And so that would be the three things. Listen. Show them that you care by having your story be theirs. And then being able to have that connection with them and having the pause. Awesome. I, for a year in our office before, before the pandemic and then even slightly after on my board, I just wrote L-T-H-N-T-S and no one understood what it meant and they just looked at it. Hey, that's great. I put it up there for listen to hear, not to speak. Yeah. And, and that's what a lot of them would do. As soon as I say something, they're thinking how to one up me. How, how can yeah. I one up what you're saying? And instead of listening to my whole sentence. Yeah, for sure. Listen. And that, I, hopefully now they get it. Well, and I think sometimes in that situation, they're trying to impress you. So they're trying to think what fabulous monumental thing can I say <laughs> that's going to make Rich think I'm the best thing since sliced bread. In the meantime, they're going to say something that you might have just commented on. And they completely didn't hear you say that. And, and rather than making them look like geniuses, you're thinking, this is an idiot. <laughs> I think I'm just going to go back to my computer and talk to it. <laughs> <laughs> There's something you left out uh, in here. It's probably thing. I think this is a pretty cool thing. In 1996, you were one of the torch runners oh. for the Olympics. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, that kind of goes back to, remember I said, I, I teach leadership, leading from the heart, the head, right. and the hands. And so the hands are the servant leadership. And when I grew up with that large family and my dad, he worked like three jobs, but he always did volunteer work. And so that volunteerism really stayed with me and much to the point where when I moved to Georgia here and uh, was working for the fast food company, they were very involved 
in, in volunteer efforts. And so when they moved and I had to find a new job, I looked for a company that was focused on giving back to the community. And so uh, UPS was huge. Everywhere I went with the other company, uh, UPS was there. So I volunteered as much as I could once I started with UPS. And as it were, I was doing 100 plus hours every year and they tracked your volunteering. The 1996 Olympics was coming and Coca-Cola had a program, if you will, for torchbearers. And it was given to the volunteers. Um, and so I got to be a torchbearer because of my volunteering. So I got to carry the torch from the headquarters of UPS a quarter mile up the road. And so now I have a torch. <laughs> That's outstanding. You didn't get to pass off the Muhammad Ali though, right? No, no, I did not. But but it still was, it was one of those things. There were 5,000 people that were cheering me on in uh, that race, that piece of it. And it, it's just crazy, crazy. But uh, yes. So I have That's the torch yeah. hanging on my wall. <laughs> That's something that you can't take away from your history. It's there forever. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that Olympics has other historical things that happened at that Olympics, but that's your your part of the history there. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. And that's just like a little blurb on your biography, like a one sentence thing. And oh yeah, I did. Yeah. That's I just I just did that. <laughs> and it's it'll be interesting. My grandsons are too young; they're only three and seven, but they're too young to really know Olympic things yet or anything. But it will be interesting at some point whenever the seven year old is a little bit older and and sees oh. That's a torch. <laughs> that is. <laughs> that's what Oma did. <laughs> it's not a giant lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, yeah, I bet you that's what he thinks it is, is a <laughs> lightsaber. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad that I was able to make you tell that story. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And, yeah, it, you know, there are times when you smile till your mouth hurts. And, you know, <laughs> when you, you have get married, when you have a baby, when you carry a torch. And the grandpas. <laughs> well, yeah, the grandbabies, they make me smile like that all the time. All day long, yeah. Yeah, that's the, there's nothing better than being a grandparent, I'll tell you. <laughs> and then you can send them home, so it's good. <laughs> yeah. But but I love, one of the things I love is that um, a goal, a goal that I had was whenever my grandkids were, it was time for them to go home with their parents that they would cry, that they wanted to stay with me. <laughs> and I got it. <laughs> I know it drives my daughter crazy, but I just love it. It's like, they don't want to leave. <laughs> Same thing she did with to you when you were leaving her grandma. So. <laughs> I know. It was the way we were when I, my mom, um, her mom and dad had a farm and we had these tremendous Sunday, Saturday or Sunday dinners with my two aunts and their family. So there was about 25 or 30 of us every Sunday at my grandmother's and we would have sleepovers with the cousins and things. And we would cry that we didn't want to go home with my mom and dad. <laughs> please let us stay, please. So that's what you learned from. So that's, good. that's right. So that's why my goal was to have that, that undying love. 
my grandson will come and see me across the room and run into my arms. Nothing better than that. You didn't have to pay him. That's good. No, I didn't. <laughs> that's outstanding. And the, the torch, doing the torch and all your um, volunteerism, that's part of your servant leadership. That shows yeah. shows others what you're really about. I mean, you can lead all you want in corporate America or in, as an entrepreneur, but once you give back and uh, try to help those who may not be as fortunate as you are or maybe just need that hand up, and that's when the servant leadership really comes in. I really yeah, love that. For sure. of everybody. Yeah. And especially, you know, those, the work that I do with the youth is all centered around that. I'm trying to do my part, leave that legacy that the world will be a little better if I can get the kids to be able to be comfortable and confident speakers. So they always have a voice that they're not afraid to share their story and make a difference. Outstanding. I think that's a great thing to do, and it helps build that next, uh, I guess, the next generation of leaders for our entire yeah. country, really, yeah. not just that local block or local area, but they'll they'll spread it out and say, hey, look, I learned from Vicki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's some great programs that I'm a part of that uh, they not only help with the public speaking piece, but they help these young men and women be better people stronger leaders, understanding their actions have impact. And I think that's what we need, just reminders. Maybe their parents are teaching them that, but having another non-parent tell you, you know, we don't always listen to our parents. Exactly. But having somebody other than the internet telling them what's right and wrong is, I think, really important. It's, it's uh, exponentially important, I think, uh, mm -hmm. Like you said, as I know when I was a kid, I thought anything my parents said was just going, whatever. <laughs> so I had a kid and I was like, what they were saying was good. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> that. That's what they said. And I think that's like you said, the third party coming in and yeah. talking about it. That's when they usually listen. And I yeah. joke with my wife, like she's training for a Marine Corps marathon. And she asked me for help. I said, you're not going to listen to me anyway. Yeah. Ask somebody else. And then I'll just help you. Because it's mm -hmm. much better for us as, as a household to, deal with it that way. And and that's why, you know, I love being a coach because I'm that third party, you know, I have the t-shirt and it's, you, you might think, well, I can ask my husband or my wife these things, but if they've not walked in those shoes, they're not going to really be able to give you objective advice or consideration. And, and you might not listen to them either, <laughs> or you might not feel comfortable talking to them about what you're going through. And it's just nice to have somebody, um, as you said, a third party to be able to do that with. Exactly. Vicki, we talked about a lot of things. I know you have a, a great podcast and yeah. you have a great business as, as well. How does someone get in contact with you to chat with you like we are or to come on your show? Just to hang out with you for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> I love, you know, I love doing my podcast. It's the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. And you can go to www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. If you add schedule at the end of that, you can schedule a 30 minute talk with me and we can just chat and see, you know, what is it that you need that I might be able to connect you with someone else or myself to help you. And that's, what I consider myself, I consider myself a connector as opposed to maybe an influencer. 
I want to interview as many people as I can so that I can give you resources to make you maybe not have to have as many missteps as some of us, but I do encourage you to um, embrace the failures as lessons to be learned. Definitely. And and just don't dwell on them and keep moving forward. Yeah. Just keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Vicki, thanks again for coming on and uh, reaching back out to get this thing scheduled. Yeah. We got this done. I had a great time chatting with you again today, just like I did when I was on your show. So this is like, yeah, and we have to have you back in the fall to see what you've uh, got done between now and then. Awesome, definitely. Yeah, I'll get on there and hit the schedule button. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again, and enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com it's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear as always, be humble stay hungry and keep hustling because we are 